Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Brother John. How are you doing today? I am doing fine. I got a very good night's sleep and was all for the show. I don't always do that, by the way. I don't know if you, you probably know that, Mr. Producer. Yeah. I have yeah. to. This is confession, people, Pope. People, producer, Pope. People, producer, Pope. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let me put my hat on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I'm glad you got a good night's sleep. Uh, did you go to sleep with your T-shirt on, the one you had to wear today? No, I actually didn't. I got that out out this morning, and uh, uh, it's ready to wear it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 No, it's got too much writing on it. Yeah, yeah, can't read it when it's on. Yeah, I can't read it. And in addition to the fact that once I read the front of it, I've got to turn it around and read the back. And I'll tell you, I have. I'm challenged. Which one is it? Which one is it? <laughs> Which one is it? It's the inf- it's the one called Bro Show Live, April twenty second. It's oh, the oh. infamous, uh, infamous uh, show. There are our, our concert list, at the. Uh, and and it has uh, you know the the one that has the set list on the back of it and of course nobody's ever heard it because the uh, the tape has been lost it's it's a lost no tape. actually it hasn't Mary Jane's got it oh dear tell her to destroy it <laughs> <laughs> well I was I was really getting down on myself one day I said God you know I wish I could play guitar better and sing better. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, I think I kind of embarrassed John at that uh, the thing we did at the house. <laughs> I and couldn't find a table to sit, to fall in, 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 go underneath. That was my problem. John, John, here's the problem, is she played me the video, and, once, mm. and she played Basket Case for me. And there was nothing wrong with it at all. I think it was us. I think we were, yeah, we we were, were having reacting. a meltdown. We yeah. were overreacting because... She says, I don't want to hear you complain about this anymore. She says, I've got other songs if you want to hear them. I said, no, 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 please. I'm okay. Let's quit while we're ahead. You know? Good idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's uh, the shirt I have on. Now, you know, what shirt do you have on? on. I have the red version of the same damn shirt. Oh, no, that's scary. See, mine's a jersey. I've got the jersey version with the stripes on the. the I've got the the short sleeve shirt. Yeah. That's a good shirt. Oh, yeah, I it saw looks, it. And I it said today's the day. It looks good. Okay, wow, that is strange. Well, I figured what I was going to do is I was going to compare because Grateful Dead's in town. I was going to compare their set list to our set list, and I'm sure we'd win. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, probably so. <laughs> yeah, I know their set list is like three songs, probably played for like probably. 35 minutes each. <laughs> correct. That is correct, sir. <laughs> Yeah. We, uh, oh well. Well, the bros when they when they play a gig, uh, they play the song as long as they can remember lyrics. <laughs> Just two and a half minutes, as I recall. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's how that works. Okay. Our oh, sponsor well. is. Ooh, by yeah. the way, this is the Bro Show. We are actual brothers. My name's Jerry, and your name is John. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Got it right. Our sponsor, the Horned Lizard Conservation Society. Yes. These guys keep these cute little. Horned lizard critters alive and well in their habitats saved in West Texas and New Mexico and places like that. Yeah, they do a so, great job of studying, documenting, and yeah. letting everybody know the importance, the value of these wonderful animals. 
and then yeah. also support yeah. the projects and assist in the management of these horn lizards. They do, and there's a T-shirt. They sell a T-shirt, and it is a dandy. And you, it's all in the show notes. Check it out. Wow. Enjoy. Enjoy. Speaking of lizards. Ooh, okay. Do we have? We always have a lizard story, don't we? And Every I week, think we, I, this, this season. Is, this season. This is the season, season of, of the lizard. Yeah. And our lizard story. I have to say, uh, the source of this lizard is a publication put out by my alma mater, uh, Washington University in St. Louis. St. Louis, that's right. And that's called Sticky Toes Unlock Life in the Trees. Boy, what a that that, that yeah. that's a real attention yeah. getter. That's so what's now, this all about? What's the sticky toes? Are they really sticky? And what kind of lizards are we talking about here? Okay. We're talking about three lizards here. Okay. The stickiest toes Belong to the gecko. Mm. Okay, that's an import. That's not a native species. But once it got over here from overseas, it took off. There's any place that's halfway warm, there's geckos. You know, they're pretty adaptable too. They have very sticky toes. They can walk right up a wall, they can walk across a ceiling. So, so they're like uh, acrobats in the, in the trees, huh? They are very good at climbing trees. If you can climb up a wall that doesn't have much purchase on it, in other words, nothing to hold on to, you could certainly climb up a tree, lickety split. But there are other two other lizards also. There's the anole, A N O L E, and those are all over. We have those all over Texas, so I'm very familiar with those. You've seen them too. They're long, yeah. skinny, green guys, and they can kind of change color. Not like a chameleon, but they can change color if they sit someplace long enough. They can turn brown and what have you. But they're normally green and white with a little ruby red throat if they're male. So that's an animal, and they have pads on the ends of their fingers that help them walk up walls and stuff. Then there is the skink. Mm. Not the stink, the skink. <laughs> uh, the skink is a, a slithery, shiny lizard that also has toe pads. That allow, it's the least acrobatic of these three. So those are the guys, and no, they don't have anything sticky on their feet. They're not yeah. like tree frogs. They're not like tree frogs. They don't. Have so suckers. as a result, they're called. It's called sticky, but it's sticky in a special way. Velcro. Perhaps sticky. you could explain that. Like Velcro. Okay. Like Velcro. They ridges. If you look at the show notes, we we got in our photo bomb. We have a close up of a gecko's paw. Mm, that's right. You told, that's, yeah. that sealed the deal for Remember? me. You said Velcro, and then you showed me yeah. the, the lizard. And yeah. I thought, aha, light bulb went on. Very good. Yeah. Now, you know, we have a subsequent, we have a subsequent story we're not going to talk about now. Yeah. But this has led to some other scientific. Yeah, commercial issues. enterprises of sorts. Yeah. So we're going to have to hold off. But That's perhaps right, we could talk much. a little bit more about the arboreal lifestyle of these animals. God, I'm glad I got that word in there. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> arboreal. You think Arbor Day, right? Arbor. Yeah, tree time. Yeah. yeah, tree time. So, first of all, what's the attraction? You know, what's wrong with the ground? Why do you have to go up into a tree? Well, here's mm. the deal. The ground's got a lot of competition. If yeah. you want to make a go of it as a lizard, Things are rough on the ground. You can get squashed. Yeah. Eaten, a lot of bad things like that. And a lot of competition for the food supply. However, once you get up into the trees, only the specialized animals can survive up there because you have to be able to hold on without falling off. And right. so 
yeah, it's choice, choice real estate up in the trees as far mm-hmm. as making a go of it as a lizard. So that's that's the upside of being an arboreal creature, whether it's a monkey, a snake, or a lizard. And the lizards that do the best in the trees are those lizards. I listed the ones with the pads on their feet that they can walk up the tree with no sweat whatsoever. They can jump onto a teeny little limb and hold on, you know, so they can outmaneuver to stay alive, and they can out-predator uh, the other lizards. Right. So there's a, it's a matter of getting some choice chow and also staying alive. <laughs> so someone, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and someone did a whole study on this, which is another one of those things where something seems so obvious, you wonder how they got the dough to do this study. Of course, they can outmaneuver and out uh, eat the other lizards, but well, somebody did a whole study on this, John. Well, you know what's really good with well, the bottom line on this one is yeah. that they do a good job of sticking around. It's not even grown time. Oh, man, I'm getting out of here. Okay, we got a word, John. You came up yeah, with this I word. I did. Antipodean. Antipodean. As Porky would say. Thank you for finishing it for me. Yeah. Okay, so, well, how did I come up with this? I was reading a book called 365 Days by K.E. Payne. Nice book. And there was a choice of, you know, going to a movie. And so here's what it was. This is pretty good. I knew I should have gone to see to see over the hedge instead. Cute animated creatures or posturing hairy antipodean. It was a Russell Crowe movie. Yeah. So antipodean that means the opposite pole. So yeah. Antipodean from here is usually considered New Zealand or Australia. Right. So that was an Australian actor. Yeah. So. Yeah. Kind of funny, but that's where I ran into it, and that's what it means, uh, of, relating to, or originating from places on the opposite side of the globe, especially Australia or New Zealand. I like there the use is. of the word, uh, the idea of Russell Crowe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He had to think to understand what was going on in the book. I saw it, and I went, wait a minute, is that a re- reference to Russell Crowe? Mm. And then I said, hmm, wonder why. So, Harry Antipodean, it could have been like Neanderthal kind of a thing. I can't, right? I, I'm thinking right? Neanderthal or maybe yeah. some sort of funky looking it's insect. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's just just a happenstance of birth. Yeah. All about it's not, yeah, it's not much of an accusation. Hey, I'm going to uh, look forward now. to using that word, though. It's it's pretty good. Once I learned how to Antipodean. Yep, yep. That's all, folks. Yeah. All right. We're having fun now. You ready? Oh, boy. Yeah. You ready to not have some fun? Well, it's it's a heavy topic, needless to say. It's heavy, but you know what? It's it's like it's that kind of fascination you wish you didn't have, but you have. (laughs) So I am I am uh, stunned by this topic. We're going to talk about baby row. Baby roll, um, and what we have here, and I'm going to stick to the, the, the basic, just the facts, as Jack Webb would say, to start out with. We all know about Roe versus Wade. We know 
but many of us know very little, and then we soon find out we don't know very much. Roe versus Wade, of course, is that landmark decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that uh, worse, what we know is wrong. Yeah, yeah, incorrect. And the the case deals with you know a woman's right to terminate pregnancy and have an abortion, etc. And it's you know went through the courts and came out the other end. Before you know it, we've got a case that started in 1971. Ends in 1973, but when we take a look at it, the first piece of trivia I come up with is Roe versus Wade. Roe, who's Roe, and who's Wade? Well, trivia to me would be like, well, it's a person, actually. The person, of course, doesn't the person have a first name? Well, Jane Roe, which, of course, for purposes of the the proceedings in court, is a pseudonym. So -hmm. what we have is there's a real person behind this name. And that person is named Norma McCorvey. And she, uh, who in 1969, she became pregnant with her third child. And she wanted to get an abortion in Texas, but it's illegal. So she was referred to a lawyer who then filed a lawsuit uh, on her behalf. And the district attorney uh, was a fellow by the name of Henry Wade, the district attorney in the county or the district of Texas. Yeah. So that's how this all kind of comes out. But where do we get involved? Well, guess yeah. what? We know that right now there this whole turmoil with respect to abortion is coming up again. In because Texas again. In Texas again. It's like the same old place. And now we've got a, a, uh, a law that has been passed that makes abortion illegal. And we don't want to go into the details of that. And we actually after, don't want to go into the weeks, details of roles. Yeah, after Roe and Roe versus Wade, because it's very no. controversial, yeah. and we could we'd never come to a conclusion with it, etc. So what we're going to do is talk a little bit about the players, the actual people behind this whole court case, because it's interesting. Because the author of this book that came out just coincidentally called the Family Roe, uh, just this last week decided that he was going to look into it. And what triggered him to do it is the same thing that we kind of thought about as brothers. And that yeah. is, let's put the let's put the math together here. Woman becomes pregnant in 1969. Cases argued in 1971. Cases decided in 1973. Pregnancy usually ends up uh, resulting in months. a baby. Nine months. Yeah, if she got pregnant nine. in 1969, then what the hell? Did she have an abortion? And if she didn't, there is a baby out there. There that's is correct. a baby role. That's so correct. that's where we kind of got caught up in it. And sure enough, uh, we've got an interesting cast of characters. And perhaps you could talk a little bit about Jane Roe and a little bit about her rather sordid or wild and crazy life and, and how that kind of fits into the equation. Yeah. Now, she's a generational person who has children out of wedlock. In other words, her grandmother had children out of wedlock her mother had children her out of wedlock and now she's doing the same thing now i don't mean to cast aspersions or pick on norma but my point is that for her this was not an extraordinary event and all three of her children were had out of wedlock right and there were and two prior to this yes so baby the first one, first one was adopted by grandmother by, by her mother the child's grandmother and uh the middle one, another family, and the third one, whose name was Shelley, not Baby Roe, uh, and she was adopted by the, by the Thorntons. 
Right. And so, yeah. So they lived all over Texas and what have you. And, uh, she was, she was raised in a standard household. They really loved her. And they told her early on that she was adopted and all that good stuff. So that's kind of her background. But, but Norma is, uh, McCorvey is a real character. She, she is a character. Oh my gosh. She's been described as a grifter, grafter, you know, various, uh, nomers like that. She spent a lot of her time working in lesbian bars. She did like girls, but she liked attention and money. So she was not the ideal spokesperson for the left on all these issues and stuff like that. So she had a, a kind of a, a bad history with them. Then she converted and thought, oh, I'll work for the other side. And they supported her and gave her money and you know, she found the Lord and, and hated herself for having these children and wanting an abortion, all this stuff. But bear in mind, that's just Norma. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on her. So it's just a quick wrap up on Norma. But think about how this all goes forward with Shelley. That's take the it, piece that didn't it, come John. out right away. I, here's the thing. Well, I would just to bring like you did closure. I, I would call Norma quickly an opportunist at best and a serial lying grifter looking for any way to make a buck. At worst, That's so correct. she she really saw her place as Jane Roe as a celebrity status. But we got Shelley. Now Shelley, you know, we know has been was born in 1970, leading a rather normal childhood, adopted by like you mentioned the Thorntons. She high school had very modest ambitions, wanted to become a secretary. At a very early age, their, her adoptive parents of the Thorntons told her that she was adopted. But even her parents didn't know the full story. So what happens is that Norma sees an opportunity to make a buck. So she decides to let out in 1989 her story and the fact that she actually did not know uh, where her uh, her birth uh, daughter, um, Shelley, was. She had no idea about her whereabouts. And it's interesting as you take a look at this is some of the death dates the lawyer who was responsible for the adoption that kind of put that together, he died. McCluskey, yeah. McCluskey dies at, and, and, you know, I forget what, what year it was. I have, it dies in 2007. Yep. So the trail to actually figure this out is, is a little bit, it's a little bit weak. It's been broken. So when, when Norma comes out with it, all of a sudden National Enquirer grabs onto it and says, well, we're going to help. So they hire but I would call a adoption detective, which I didn't even know yeah, exist. I didn't but either. This is a person who what they do for a living is basically help search out these adoptions. And sure enough, she's got enough experience. And she's, I'd like to, she does it for a flat fee, $1,500. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So she goes about it and fairly quickly. Now we're talking 1989. So this is almost, you know, 20 years after that this is yeah. all starting to, to, to surface. And sure enough, the detective by the name of to, uh, Toby uh, Hanft, Hanft. Yeah. Hanft comes up with it and traces uh, Shelley to Seattle. And she arranges uh, a meeting w- uh, with Shelley and also her uh, adopted uh, mother, Ruth Thornton. And they get together. And it's kind of interesting because when you take a look at this story, we know that a person has been adopted, and when they find out they've been adopted, 
they kind of there's an emotional turmoil that has to that I yeah. would assume exists, and it's existing because we they know somebody didn't want them is the bad news. The people who gave yeah. them up, and they know the good news is there was somebody who did want them. Yeah. But Shelley has got this extra layer of emotion that she's got to deal with by the fact that she shouldn't even be here. Because yeah. if, if the timing just happened to work out for her, that uh, the abortion was still illegal, and as a result, Norma made the decision to go to full term on, on the pregnancy. And yeah. so that's the reason she's here. She's also, when she finds out, so when Toby the detective confronts Ruth and Shelley, Mother Ruth and Shelley, uh, baby role, with the fact that, you know, she's a celebrity, she does it very delicately. She kind of tiptoes around the subject and finally says, by the way, now that I've told you a lot of detail, you are the baby. You are baby role. Mm. So this is another layer of emotion that is placed upon her because now she thinks in her mind, well, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not, I I would never get an abortion. Yeah. But I don't know exactly how to feel about the court case. Yeah. Well, not only was she not wanted by her mother, her mother wanted to kill her. That's the way she looks at it. Oh, that's exactly right. It's it's like you you, yeah. you know, and there was double double. Yeah. So back to the author who finds us in 2010 and works on all of this and is able to go through it. He's confronted with some challenges. Joshua Prager, the guy who wrote the book, The Family Role, that just came out. He's confronted with the fact that number one, that detective is 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 dead now. So uh, he's got to go through a little bit. And I think the story lies in, the, in, in obviously, Shelley. I like that part of the story. Although, listen, if you want, if you want the full story, the unabridged oh. dictionary version, you can go and read the 672 pages that Joshua Prager has written. And uh, the bros are fully uh, about truth. And they will tell you, we have not, since the book was released on Thursday, read that book. Can't. Uh, and the good news is that Atlantic... The magazine published an article on September 29th. It would be sort of like, you know, you would never do this in school. You wouldn't use a summarized version of anything Me? To, Me? to write anything or talk about it. No, 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 I never <laughs> So did that. we were able to get the Cliff's Notes version yeah. of the story by way of the Atlantic article. Uh, and yeah. that's where we got most of our information. We're all about, you know, telling the, the full disclosure. Re- revealing full disclosure with all our sources. Yeah. So, um, so what happens? Except, is, the, except the ones we protect. Other than that, oh yeah, I, I forget yeah, which uh, ones we protect. Just you're gonna have to I remind me some other time. Yeah, some other time. <laughs> so I, I see that this story involves in a number of layers and uh, of emotion that Shelley has gone through. She and the fact is that even though in 1989, National Enquirer and the detective come up with the fact. Who, who she is, Shelley, Baby Roe, is able, thank God, to keep her whole uh, status uh, secret and not getting it, you know, out there in the open so that it was she becomes a celebrity herself. Yeah, she now, didn't want to do that. She's she the didn't want to do that. Mom. She's the opposite of her mom. So as a result, there's a kind of a struggle. There's a couple things going on here. The big struggle for Shelley lies in the fact that she has an opportunity by phone to talk to her mother and her mother wants to get together with her. But however, she quickly senses that her mother only wants to get together to make it sort of a big event. Yep. 
Let's stage this with TV cameras in front of us. Let's have all the news people there. Let's make it a big press interview. And that's yep. the way she wanted to make it. You know, he hit the, hit the, the news. And so Shelly doesn't want that. So as a result, Shelly has mixed feelings about meeting her mother. She had talked to her on the phone, but she really never thought about it too much until there's always this ambivalence as to what she wants to do with respect to this decision. She finally decides to meet Norma in 2017, learning that Norma's on her deathbed. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's too late, and Norma dies of heart failure in February 2017 at the age of 69. Now, that's yep. sort of the sad part of the story, but there is another good part to this story. Because remember, yes. there are two other half-sisters so the, the 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 really good what I think feel is the upside of the story is that finally the detective uh, arranged uh, the you know the the invest adoption detective did arrange for a Shelley um, now actually she didn't but eventually in 2013 uh, yeah. Shelley gets an opportunity and does get a chance to meet her two sisters and you can see. There was a connection immediately, the way they talk about it. And so it's a it's a good story. Yeah, I like the yeah, hum- I like the human interest side of it. I mean, you know, it, it's fun when you can sit back and not get too involved in all the uh, ifs, ands or buts, the pros and cons uh, that deal with Roe versus Wade. But the uh, the underlining human interest story is really good. So yeah. if you if you really want to know mm-hmm. the first boy that kissed Shelley on a date in a biography of him. <laughs> go to book. the Joshua Prager book, Family <laughs> Row, and somewhere in that 672 pages is that story. Wow. Good job, John. <laughs> so that's the story. That's our two takes for the week. Do you have any groaners? I have got several groaners. Our groaners are provided to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder, Jr., commonly referred to as the coach. And so here's what I'm going to do. And I had to wordsmith this a little bit, and I came up with two choice ones, I think. They're a little, they're kind of, they're kind of goofy, but here they are. Why did the snail have trouble identifying the two tortoises that beat him up? Why did the snail have trouble identifying the two tortoises that beat him up? I don't know. According to the snail, it just happened too fast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I was looking for wordplay. I was looking for wordplay. I know it. it that's the reason yeah. I said it's a little. Go- it's a goofy one, and unfortunately, my different. second one. Unfortunately, my second one is a little goofy too. But here we we'll okay. go for it. Let's go. Why is it easy to make friends by talking about climate change? Why is it easy to make friends, new friends? By talking about climate change. I have no clue on that one. That topic is just a great icebreaker. <laughs> oh. In other oh. words, that, that yeah. corner was a severe stretch. I was just going to say that one was a stretch. Exactly. <laughs> okay, stretch. Oh, yes. Your new name, your new name. I like it, too. Feel free to use it. 